And I want you to crack open your your bulletin or your version notes. We just laid the groundwork pretty solid last week that this that what we're reading here in Matthew four uh, that it is written that that Jesus caught consistently used scripture consistently used the Bible to to validate and to um, uh, guide him in his decision making and he references it over and over and over again and points us and says hey this is the decision I'm making and this is why because it is written and guess what he's given us a pattern for us for us how to live and so we looked at that if you missed that last week then I suggest you get it but let's go ahead and get into this because the Bible is not just a religious book for us just the world in general may say of oh, the Bible is just one more piece of religious writ you go to some academic library, you go to the university library, and you look for religious books, and then you're just going to find on all the other religious books in the world there, a couple of translations of the Bible there. That's not what it is for you and I. We understand it on a whole different level. It's not just one more volume of religious writ. We understand that the Bible reveals the very heart of God, that it is something that, that guides us and directs our lives and knowing what God has to say on any given issue. Folks, this is the baseline. This is the core for us to be able to make life-giving decisions. If we don't understand what God says, then how are we going to be able to choose life and choose right in that scenario? Psalms 119. 105. In fact, Psalms 119, just the whole thing is all about the Word. Just here's the psalmist is talking about the Word and how it applies to our lives. In verse 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We say around Celebration Church that, that our growth model is asking these two questions. Where am I and which way forward from here? Because wherever you are, there's a way forward. You're not so stuck that God can't grow you. You're not so advanced that God can grow you. We're all on this place that God has taken us to the next level and His Word reveals the lamp to our feet, shows us where we are, and it is a light to our path. It shows us where we're going, how to move forward. And we have to fully embrace that. We have to fully embrace it. And part of that is understanding Matthew 7. Matthew 7 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Man embraces his words and puts them into practice. Not just go, whoo, I'm down with the Bible. The Bible's cool. And then walk off and forget it and don't put it into practice. We have to, it's designed for use. They look, we, you can buy really handsome Bibles that look awesome on a shelf or on your coffee table. They, they make really pretty ones. And there's some that can be really decorative, but that's not what it's built for. It's built for use. And if any time you begin to have something that purely becomes this decorative thing in your life, that you make yourself feel better because you go, yeah, I'm down with the Bible, I'm cool with it, and you don't put it into use, all of a sudden it begin, things begin to become actually more difficult. It becomes something actually begin, if we don't want to put it into use, we'll begin to want to avoid it and not deal with it at all. Well, back years and years ago, my mom took on, to my memory, her first big remodel project. And this was a, our hall bathroom at a house that I grew up in when I was a little kid. And so she gutted the bathroom and did it. And my mom loves to decorate. And she did all her decorative stuff. And in that bathroom 
was all sorts of bathroom stuff that you don't use. There were towels with ribbons sewn to them that you did not use. And if we touched them, we got in trouble. But the, mo- the funniest one were these little decorative soaps. I don't think they even make those anymore because I think we discovered that those are a disaster. Because they sat in the little dish and, they're, and these had like, were like, if I remember right, they were like shell patterns or something. They look like little clams or something. And they're molded and they sit there and they're soap. They're made out of real soap, but you're not supposed to touch them. Well, guess what happens with stuff that sits out? It gets dusty. And then we'd get assigned to go and clean the bathroom. You ever try to clean soap? What do you, how do you clean soap? Soap's supposed to clean you. You're not supposed to clean soap. And so you're trying to get the dust off, and then you're like, well, well, that's stuck. And then you get it wet, and then it turns into soap. And then it's all messed up, and all the details are gone, and then your mom spanks you for no reason. Not really. She didn't spank me. And, uh, she's here today. I'm just giving her a hard time. And, um, but it was frustrating because that's not what soap at its core is designed for. It's designed to be used. It's designed to work. And when we simply, as believers, if we just try to have the Bible in our lives, and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. What do you think about this? Oh, it's, I'm cool with it. But we don't try to put it into use. Eventually, there's going to be this tension moment that it, it, we're either going to have to put it into use and let it do what it's done, or we're going to have to put it away and just say, I don't want any more of that. We cannot, this place of it simply decorating our Christian lives that will lead to tension. So you and I, if we're going to be true Christ followers, we have to make the willful decision. It is going to affect me. I'm going to let it change how I view. I'm not going to let my worldview change the scriptures. I'm going to let the scriptures change my worldview. I'm not going to let my take on things change it. It's going to change me. That's the way it has to be. See, God's word must be put into practice. It's to be put into use. Let's go ahead and jump in here into Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and active. God's words are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even between the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes or the intents of the heart. Now, this, this sword, it judges between the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If, it's a, if this is in our hands, and it's supposed to divide between the thoughts and the attitudes and really get to the heart of the issue... Is that sword for me to turn on somebody else? I don't know their thoughts. I don't know their attitudes. Whose do I have access to? Mine. I have access to my thoughts and I have access to my attitudes. The Word of God it should be used and this place should, should be active here in me. It should be active in me. But then it's also, and part of it being active in me, it's also an aggressive weapon, but not for us to use on one another. We should not be slicing and dicing each other with the Word of God, but there is a place that we should use it, and that is in spiritual battle, and we're about to get into this with Jesus. And Ephesians six seventeen holds this up. It says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We don't have to figuratively decide, well, okay, well, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. Paul made sure we understood that. It's the Word of God. It's God's Word. And so why, you, why do you and I need a sword? 
We need a sword. Again, it's not decorative. It's not the little soaps. We carry a sword because there's going to be an attack. You have an enemy that is going to come against you. And the word of God is a sword for us when the enemy comes against us. And here we go. Matthew 4. Let's just chew this up. This is so good. The Holy Spirit led Jesus in verse 1 into the desert. There the devil tempted him. After 40 days and 40 nights of going without eating, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and he said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's hungry. Here's this thing going on within him. I'll get him off track trying to fulfill that need. And Jesus answered, not with his own fresh, witty thing. Jesus says a lot of cool stuff. We get where he is laying out Scripture for us all through the Gospels. Things that he's writing that we reference that he's not quoting it as written. Jesus lays out with his tongue scripture all through the Gospels. He's writing fresh scripture all the time. But here in the attack, what does he do? He doesn't do it there. He shows us what we do, which is go back to what's already been written. And he says, it is written. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our place of sustenance. This is the place where our, we really live. We, if we even remotely begin to get our eyes on temporal things, we will hijack what God is trying to do in our lives. Here he is. He has been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a pretty long fast. Long as fast I just hold everything fast I've ever done is five days. 40 days is a long time. I know people who've done 40-day fast. I'm not one of those people. But I'm telling you, he'd gone the distance, and here at the end, at the end, the enemy comes in. He always wants to come in and try to get us off target, to get us uh, to, get us to miss the mark, to get us to, to, to try to step in at the last second on our own. And here it is. Jesus refuses to do it on his own. And so as we look at this, this part, of this encounter, there's four verses. There's some key things that we can learn from this encounter. One of the first ones is, and as a believer, man, I'm telling you, you got to get this thing down. Because, man, I tell you what, the, the enemy will beat your brains out with this one if, you, if, you're, if you're ignorant and immature in this area and you don't understand it. Because look at this. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you're not following the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Matthew 4, 1. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. He's been led by the Holy Spirit. He is where he's supposed to be doing what he is supposed to be doing. He is on track. And it says there the devil tempted him. It was there that the devil came at him. So many times we think, well, if I'm, if I'm tempted or the, the, these thoughts are coming at me or this is, this is happening here, then that means that, well, man, I just must have gone off the track. Or we may judge each other. Well, man, if you were really doing what you're supposed to be doing, that even wouldn't come into your mind. This wouldn't even be a temptation. This wouldn't even be stirred up in you. Well, were we going to say that about Jesus? No. He was being led. There are times we can be completely, be where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing, and the enemy just finds an opportunity, and he's just going to come at it. He doesn't give up. He doesn't go, wow, the man, they're just obeying God. I'm just going to leave them alone. He hates you doing that. He hates that. It drives him insane. He doesn't like it. 
See, James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say that God's tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. The Holy Spirit is sitting here guiding him and taking him on this journey. And the enemy comes in and finds opportunity and and comes in. This isn't a plan of God for, for, for this. God isn't using the devil to do this. The enemy comes in and he takes opportunity. And I have, I've shared with y'all what in my recollection is my biggest Brandon is a jerk brother story on the planet. And I've got two younger sisters. And um, I've shared with you the story before when we just moved into a new house right before my senior year. And my sister had her room in the way back corner of the house. And it was after school, and she'd just gotten a new bed, and it was an old antique bed that was like way up off the ground. And uh, big enough that uh, me as a senior could get under that bed. And so she was out. My mom, again, being the decorator that she is, had the nice dust ruffles over the bed so you can't see anything under it. And my sister's out of her room. I get under the bed come in she comes in she's in her room she has her books open she's doing her homework she's what doing what she should be doing she's doing her homework on her bed where is she supposed to be i lay there wait let her get comfortable the door shut and i pretty soon i start just pushing up on the bed just i'd hear that pencil stop she'd quit i'd just stop She'd go back to doing her homework. And I'd push a little more. And she'd stop. About the third time, she goes back and I push. And she stops and I keep pushing. And she's like, okay, something is happening. This is freaking me out. She gets on her hands and knees going around looking over the edges of the bed. When as she's doing that, I crawl over to the edge of the bed and stick my head out from under. But the dust ruffles on my face. Well, the dog had followed her into our room. Or the loss of opso. And he knew I was under the bed. And he had his head right there, right up next to mine with his body sticking out from under the dust ruffle. So Heather comes around to the edge. She's on her hands and knees on the bed and sees the dog's body under there. And the little, it's his little head up under the dust ruffle. And says, oh, bogey, it's just you. And she pulls the dust ruffle back. And there's my face. And I screamed at her. And she pulls it back and I'll, yeah! and she does a backflip off of there, runs into the closed door. I kid you not. She hits the closed door, backs up, runs in. I'm laughing so hard. I can't get out from under the bed. And I have to wait. And I finally get out and I make it into the living room. And she is just sitting there shaking. My parents are like, what did you do to her? She couldn't even talk. And I'm telling you, I felt horrible. She was for like 10 years. She was jumping. She could be looking at you and you could poke her in the ribs and she would literally not, she would come unglued. She, I mean, she was that jumpy. It was terrible. I had to repent and like, had to break the spirit of fear off of her. It was just horrible. I was a mean brother. But I took the opportunity and it's just like I was playing the role of the devil and she was where she was supposed to be doing what she was supposed to be doing and I just saw the opportunity and I took it and the enemy will do that in your life and do not operate under the false presumption that if you're doing everything right that the enemy will leave you alone and then okay well if then if the enemy's attacking then what am i doing wrong and then you beat your brains out and thinking i'm jacked up and i'm off track no 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 just listen to the holy spirit stay there walk 
tell him what, is, what the word says and just keep moving forward. We have to stay that. First Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He tried to devour Jesus. Don't you think he's probably going to pull one on you? The next piece we see here is Jesus' humanity. This is a big deal. Here we are in Scripture, and we get to something that just seems so almost it should be presumed. But you know what? If it wasn't there, we wouldn't presume it. Because look here in verse 2. After 40 days and 40 nights of going without eating, Jesus was hungry. You could almost think that you could say after 40 days and 40 nights of going without eating, the devil came in and then did his thing. But no, it throws that he was hungry. Because you know what you and I'll do? Because Jesus, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords to us. He is God incarnate. And we will see the deity part of him. And we will forget that there was the man part of him dealing with this. And there was the man part of him. There was the humanity. He was hungry. He was hungry. He deals with the same kind of stuff as you and I. And that's why he gives us this model. He was dealing with this, with the enemy, from a place of his humanity, just like you and I have to do it. Um, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and the only he, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. In every way. Does that mean the enemy tried to get Jesus to steal? He was tempted. Yes, it says in every way. Does that mean that he tried to get Jesus to look lustfully on a woman? He was tempted in every way. Yes. But Jesus was without sin. Yes, in every way. But he did it right. He walked the human existence right. He did it right. This is so important. What's so beautiful. I want you to throw the picture of the Torah up there for me right quick. The Jews had had the word of God. And this is how... That it they would it was has been held for millennia, not centuries, for millennia, and this is a, a copy or a, a picture of the the Torah, which was the the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Bible, and uh, it was kept and written, and you, you can can you see the little individual pieces there, and they was were put together, and each one of those is a different little as a lambskin, it's flesh, and the word was written on flesh and then they stitched it together and they would roll it up so all of the the hebrew the first five books of the bible were on there and so here they had been looking at it and studying it forever with the word on flesh those little wood things on the end this is just a cool piece of trivia though you know what those are referred to what those are called they're called the tree of life so here is the word all flesh held up on a tree. Oh my gosh, that's just this beautiful imagery of Christ there on the crucifixion. I mean, it's just, it's just all written through there. And the Word of God is full of that kind of stuff. Thank you guys for showing that to me. But there, all, there was this imagery of this all the way through. He, he was man and he was dealing with that. And so this is 
helps us so that we know how to deal with this. The next thing we need to understand is that the enemy wants you to doubt your relationship with God. The first thing when he comes in and attacks, that's the first thing he does. Matthew 4, 3 says, The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God. Just lay that little seed down. If. If that. Play that in there. The enemy always wants to come in and to do that. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, folks. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, 16, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, the chi- that we are God's children, that we're the children of God. Why? Because the enemy will come in and whisper, no, no, you did this and you did that. God's disowned you. God's cut you off. No, we are made right with him by the sacrifice of Christ and Christ alone and not by anything of ourselves. I don't care what the enemy comes and whispers in your ear. We have God telling us, the Holy Spirit within us, reminding us that we are God's children, thwarting this attack of the enemy. And then the last thing I want us to take away from this is the fact that the enemy always wants you to handle things on your own, to trust in yourself. And I think if we'll just be remotely honest, I think if we'll be remotely honest here for just a second, we fall into this one all the time. How many times have we heard people talk about, say, don't use prayer as a last resort? Why do we do that? Why do we go, oh, yeah, let's pray? Say the first thing. Because we do it on our own first. And when that doesn't work to our, what we think the results maybe are tolerable, then if it's still a place that we can't just grin and get over it, then we're like, oh, well, let's pray. It's a last resort. And he, the enemy wants us to try to live in our own strength as much as possible. Because when we try to live in our own strength, we push God's strength out. We're either going to lean on Him or we're going to lean on ourselves. We don't do both. It's one or the other. And, and the enemy wanted him to do that. Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Remember, he was hungry. His human part was like, Feed me! I am hungry here! My, the body was like, Let's eat! And the enemy was like, Come on, tell these stones to become bread if you're the Son of God. Your daddy spoke them into existence. Your daddy. If you're the Son of God, you're a miracle worker. If you don't work, you don't eat. Do some work and have some food. Let's get this done. And he would not fall into the trap. He just wouldn't do it. Jesus resisted it. We see here in John five nineteen that Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. This is so representative when, when at the end of his ministry, earthly ministry, he's there in the garden and he's praying and says, not my will but yours. We're going to do this your way. Ultimately, it's all said and done. We're going to do this your way. Because see, he, there are things he understood. He understood God was a provider. He understood that that was the case. He understood that those different things. And he would not, he would not lean on his own strength. 
Acts 14, 17. We shouldn't even lean on our own strength in this front of just provision. We can try to get out and work and work and work. We need to. We do work. But it's, it's in obedience to God, not in place of God. Then He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. This is in reference to Psalm 65, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, only on bread. He also lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3. When we jump to the end of this story, we jump to the end of this encounter. Because see the breakthrough, his provision, it was just right there. It was just right there. And Matthew 4.11 says, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. They came. How do you attend to a hungry man? They fed him. They took care of him. Angels came and did it. But it, that, that breakthrough and that it was a, still a miraculous end. Would stones being turned into bread be a miraculous end? Sure. The angel showing up and feeding you. Very few people that I know of have ever had that experience. It's pretty miraculous. That it happened. He, he didn't go hungry. Leaning on God's word did not leave him empty handed. There was a spiritual battle and there was a physical battle. And making sure that it's handled in the spirit always leads the, the good results in the physical. It always does. It always does. See, folks, God loves us. It's just the truth. And he has given us his word so that we might know that he cares. He cares for us. He loves us. And when we understand that, when we understand that he wants only our good, then based on his word, we can choose life every time. If we begin to doubt if he's really for us, we'll begin to take it back in our own strength. When we know that He loves and cares for us, then we can choose life every single time. Folks, that's what this is about. That's what us growing and knowing Him better and trusting Him more is taking Him at His word and making life-giving choices. And the first one starts with what we do here every week, which is giving people an opportunity to step from death to life. The Bible says that in our own, in our, just where we are in our sins and our mistakes, that we're already dead and bound to hell. That's where we already exist. It's not like all of a sudden we're going to end up there. That's where we already are. What Jesus came to do is move us from death into life. And we say, you know what? The death that was owed, Jesus did that. He lived that perfect life as a, as a man. And, and the death that this person, this human owed, he paid. And then now, I believe that he did that for me. And now it's paid for and it's done. And we choose it. We choose life that way. Then after that, we begin to just take him at his word and we choose life over and over and over again. Whether it's in our area of our relationships, in our area of our finances, in our area of of our personal assignment and calling on our lives, in every area. So this morning, let's create a quiet moment. That if you're here and you need to make the biggest eternal decision ever, which is who's going to deal with your sin? Is it you? Or are you going to let Jesus so lovingly handle it? And if you choose Christ, if you're like, Brandon, I need to do that today, then I want you to just lift your hand and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. And if that's you, just lift your hand.
You can do this right here and now. If there's anybody here that wants to make that decision.